are here in the 11FS offices in London for episode 105 of Blockchain Insider, the weekly show dedicated to the news of where blockchain meets crypto and crypto meets institutions. Today we bring you Keeping Big Tech Out of Finance, Binance Burns a Bucket Load of BNB, and Trump Hates Bitcoin, and Libra, and just about everyone. All this and more on today's Blockchain Insider. I'm your host, Simon Taylor, and joining me as always is the one and only Colin G. Platt. How are you, Colin G. Platt? Doing very well, uh, enjoying the heat here in sunny France. You've got to stop saying that, although apparently the UK's got a heat wave coming. Uh, Wherever we are, we hope you have good weather too. Um, I I guess uh, you may not be near a field, but wherever you're listening to this podcast, there's a lot of news this week. Um, Let's start up with one from theblockcrypto.com. Congressional leaders have drafted a bill that would ban big tech from launching a digital asset. Uh, The article reads uh, a draft discussion bill titled Keeping Big Tech Out of Finance Act has surfaced ahead of a Facebook slated uh, slated congressional hearing this week. It aims to prevent tech colossuses, uh, fun word to say, uh, from being becoming financial institutions, it also seeks to prohibit these companies from establishing, maintaining, or operating a digital asset that is intended to be widely used as a medium of exchange, unit of account, or store of value. According to the draft, any technology company with an annual global revenue of more than $25 billion and predominantly engaged in the business of offering online public marketplaces, exchanges, or platforms for connecting third parties would fall under the prohibition. My goodness. Uh, these companies would be subject to a daily $1 million fine for violating either subsection of the bill. My goodness. Colin, what did you think when you saw this? That That's really specific. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, <laughs> wonder wonder big, what they're talking about. wonder what that could be. <laughs> Libra. Yeah. My goodness. Libra. Libra. Um, yeah. So so what would be really funny about this is uh, if, if they turned around and pointed out, well, actually, if you uh, consider how Libra is constructed... Technically, Facebook's not creating these. So I, I do suspect if this thing does go ahead, which may get called out for being very selective, uh, it will probably need substantial rewrites to like encapsulate Libra as, as it currently is designed to be. Um, but I mean, we've been talking about this for a while. Like, uh, If there's one thing that really matters for Libra, it's the fact that people kind of stand up and, and take a view on it. Whatever that view will be and whichever outcome you're rooting for, uh, the 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 big boss in the end of the video game is coming up. <laughs> end boss battle. Um, end boss battle. <laughs> We're going to talk about one of the big bosses. Indeed. I guess um, this actually is a discussion draft, right? So let's let's keep it in context. As you said, this is a long way away from being anything that could even be voted on. Um, but it is being floated by the House Financial Services Committee staff. Um, and of course, the House Financial Services Committee have also uh, sort of said a lot of stuff um, recently post Libra. So it doesn't surprise me. Um, the committee itself has an interesting background. Um, if you check out their About Us uh, webpage, the committee committee membership. Uh, so if you go financialservices.house.gov, um, a real list of committee members there uh, in the 116th Congress. Um, but if, also, if you look at who their financial backers are, no surprises, uh, lots of links to financial services, lobbies, uh, lobbying organizations. So now that shouldn't surprise you that the financial services industry would lobby the financial services committee. Like That's not saying there's anything nefarious, but the, who they're being advised by and educated by uh, is is definitely people more from the bank side of things. So is there a banks are scared thing or do you think this is actually 
put that down, Facebook. Think about it before you move forward. So I was in Barcelona last week for this Bitcoin trading conference, and it was really interesting. Every every single panel had the question of, you know, what do you think about Libra? Um, and there there was somebody uh, representing a firm that works quite extensively with stable coins and has a pretty strong financial background. And basically, um, their point was, and, and they're based uh, in in the Silicon Valley, not far from Facebook, was that uh, outside of just this this particular project, uh, they weren't at all surprised because Facebook has a habit of announcing grand sounding plans that are just not very fully fully baked. Um, and this is a prime example of that. Um, but, you know, say what you want about a lot of people in in the public sphere and, and in lawmaking. There are there are a lot of very qualified people uh, speaking to these people uh, that are ultimately making the laws and, and having these discussions and they're asking the right questions. So mm-hmm. I think it's good to see staffers become concerned and communicate that to ultimately their bosses who are the the, the lawmakers um, and to to start to ask for justifications. And, and this week, I believe starting Wednesday uh, this week, uh, we're starting to see the, the Senate and the House have these committees where they're going to call people like David Marcus up in front of them to ask uh, very difficult probing questions that I don't think that they necessarily, when they released the paper, had put fleshed out. Um, and that's what we're starting to see. So I don't know if it's about bankers lobbying as much as just um, banks probably have fed some of the right questions to them. And if they're able to answer that, great. Uh, I, I personally don't feel that's the case so far. Yeah, indeed. I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me that um, bankers understand banking and, and are, are feeding some interesting questions. Um, but also, is there something else banks can, could, should be doing looking at digital assets more broadly as, as being something that can uh, potentially solve some of the problems of the banking industry and or um, you know, consumer industries more broadly uh, on the back of this announcement or even prior? Because we know... Uh, JPM coin has has sort of been announced and has some momentum. Uh, lots of organizations are looking at digital assets to solve problems. You know, what should banks be doing? Um, there are working groups out there, I understand. There's there's lots of things like that that people could be getting involved in, maybe. Yeah, um, I mean, creating new forms of money um, and remembering how many different forms of money there are is an important thing. Um, if you're going to be creating a new form of money that doesn't currently exist, uh, there are all kinds of risks with that. And I think uh, there's probably a ton of opportunity should Libra or Libra by another name or another form of Libra with the same name or whatever it ultimately ends up being, because I am very firmly convinced personally that there will be something that at least grows from these seeds of an idea that happens in the next 10 years. Um, if and when that comes up, I, I do think that banks stand to make a lot of money out of it uh, if they play their cards right. You know, they could also uh, leave this thing to happen outside of them Um which means that something like a Facebook could eventually become regulated as a financial institution. It's already, as has been pointed out, a, uh, a e-money provider in Ireland, uh, which gives it e-money access throughout Europe. Uh, but other big companies could come by and be fast movers, or maybe challenger bank types things could get into this. Yeah, it's interesting that there's opportunity there, uh, given this salvo has been fired, but also um, maybe there's risk as well that you're going to have to make sure you think things through, as you say, because you make sure you're solving a real problem with, with real money and all um, you're thinking it through because this regulatory response and more, more probably more importantly, the political response to Libra has been really significant. Absolutely immense. <laughs> yeah. I think that's one way of describing it. All right, well, we've covered Libra a lot, and I'm sure we'll get back to it uh, in a second because 
the next story is from Yahoo Finance, written by a friend of the show, Oscar Williams Group, who uh, actually helped present one of the episodes of Blockchain Insider way back in the day. So shout out to Oscar. Um, Bank of England's Mark Carney warns Libra, this is a not learning on the job stuff. Uh, great headline, Oscar. Nice job. Um, the Bank of England's uh, highest risk assessment group has pledged to investigate potential threats posed by Libra and other digital tokens. Uh, Mark Carney of the uh, Bank of England governor said, this is not a learning on the job stuff. It's got to be rock solid from the start or it's not going to start. He also said the Libra project as, as it exists poses a wide range of risks. Um, this is quite different in tone to, I guess, uh, the central bank's initial set of announcements two, three weeks ago when Libra was first announced, Colin. Yeah, I, and I, I think we had that discussion about it at the time. Um, Central bankers have a funny way of talking if you're not uh, used to it, uh, and a lot of it's reading tea leaves. Um, at the end of the day, uh, Mark Kearney wants to kind of toot his own horn about things that they have done, including potentially giving non-banking entities uh, bank accounts with the, cen the central bank, with the Bank of England. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's, a, there's an open door. And he did state that, you know, there would be a very high standard to get in. Uh, and he's talked about exactly what he means by some of these things. And, and uh, I believe Oscar was actually at the meeting. It's worth watching the video and, and seeing this play out. It's, it's about a five-minute segment. Um, they have thought about a lot of these things. And it's, it's not just um, resiliency of being able to access this, that numbers always match up when they should match up, that you know, your Libra doesn't fall out of your wallet or whatever it is. But there are also some really strong considerations that happen of when things go wrong, um, some of the really wonky things that people never think about, like how do you sell the underlying, how do you buy a new underlying? Um, and, and if you get those things wrong, if they're not as strong as any other central banking system, you can very quickly start to blow up uh, real important things. I think that's a super important point. Central bankers worry about those really important things. Uh, optimistic tech developers don't worry about the... It, this is an interesting culture class we see a lot in fintech. Um, you know, Fintech startups especially come along and they've got a happy path, great user experience that would be awesome for consumers, uh, but they haven't thought about what could go wrong. And then they go meet a regulator who asks them 15 questions about what could go wrong and, and don't always have the answers for it. And actually, uh, over time, we're seeing this play out bo in both good and bad. Sometimes that can mean really creative solutions to problems that didn't exist before as a fresh pair of eyes look at that problem space and come up with new solutions. A lot of times, though, it can mean that you just end up having to learn the same things that bankers have known for quite some time. And a mix of those two is probably a, a good place to be. You know, In our own experience, um, it, it can definitely be the case that uh, culture in banking is to put in place the process with the spreadsheet and have the committee might not always be the right answer for the 21st century. Maybe we want to see some innovation there. But the structural stuff you're talking about from a central banking standpoint it is really quite different. And you actually uh, wrote a blog post that breaks some of those points down. Do you want to just give us the, the bullet point version? The bullet point version. Yeah. So this is a long, very snarky post. But basically, um, I, I kind of look through a lot of what was coming out and we've been talking about it on the show. Um, a lot of people have concentrated on kind of the um, AML, KYC things, anti-terrorism, anti money laundering, all that great stuff. Um, or, you know, from a taxonomy point of view, is this thing a blockchain? Is this thing a cryptocurrency? Um, and and I, I was interested in kind of what we're talking about here, the, the more systemic risk and broke down what exactly is going to potentially be in this Libra reserve and how would it work? Um, and kind of put some estimates around it. And ultimately, um, there are a lot of very scary things in there if you don't know how to manage them, um, which 
are part of the reason that the system almost collapsed in 2008 and 2009. Um, By the system, you mean the global financial system? The global financial system, yeah. So things like So what's interesting about this blog post to me is you compare the global financial crisis and what went wrong to how Libra is designed and kind of take people through and guide people through. uh, If if you look at this through that lens, what could go wrong with Libra? And I think it's it's a really good primer. So how, how does somebody find that? Uh, somebody can find that by checking out my my Twitter and going to the the posted uh, or the pin thing at the time we're recording this, um, but it should still be there for a while. Or you can go to Medium uh, at Colin underscore at Colin underscore the one and they, only Colin underscore only on Medium. Who one. knew? I think uh, I think I took Colin G Platt and I like otherwise lost the password and never bothered to reset it. Dang. Oh, well, Colin underscore is the new Colin G. Platt. You heard it here first, Could people. Could be. There's something, a couple of things that stuck out for me here. Um, the uh, this Bank of England Governor Mark Carney's high-risk assessment group has pledged to investigate potential threats posed by Libra and other digital tokens. Do you think there's some contagion here for the concept of tokenizing assets, um, the traditional real-world assets that have uh, laws around them and regulations around them? Or do you think that people understand the difference between those two? Uh, so I think this this relates primarily to um, the the comments of the G7 because that was part of his response was the G7. So mm-hmm. the G7, and we reported on this about three weeks ago, um, specifically said they are going to set up a a group dealing with stable coins of which Libra. So everybody just said they're going to look at Libra, um, forgetting that they're really going to also focus on things like Tether and USDC. All of these fundamentally have the same potential issue should they become large enough. And let's bear in mind that Tether itself uh, and the the assets it manages are nearly as large as all the money managed by PayPal. Yeah, that's a really significant point, isn't it? So Tether, the the quote-unquote stable coin used by uh, a lot of crypto exchanges for crypto-to-crypto trading and and as a way of sort of managing digital token versions of US dollars as a a, a kind of in in the likes of Binance and um, Bitfinex and many others, that they're really looking into those. And and, uh, I think the global coordinated response around that is is equally significant to to the Libra conversation. Yeah, and I, and that could meander into other things when they start pulling out that group and saying, well, what's the effect of tokenization on real assets? Are we talking about a securitization type risk? Uh, the the discussion you and I had last week about liquidity mismatches, it may go there, but I, I don't think that that's currently uh, their primary source of concern, being that you know stablecoins is a really only sizable market. It is. It is something to think about. That PayPal stat was phenomenal. Uh, when yeah, you four and a half billion, I think, uh, at the end of two thousand eighteen versus three point nine, I think for Tether now. Wow, really significant. Um, although how many of those tethers exist, dun, dun, dun. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, there's something else in Mark Carney's speech, though. He, he did temper what he was saying. He said, um, we, we recognize that this is trying to solve a series of issues that exist in the payment systems that exist today. Uh, it's way too expensive to do domestic payments. It's way too slow, and that hurts consumers and businesses. It's far too expensive to send money cross-border, and there are huge financial inclusive issues related to that. So I think there's there's, oh, there's always a recognition from the, the especially the likes of Mark Carney and the Bank of England, that uh, there's good intent coming from Facebook here, but like if you've got two billion users, you are systemic. Like if if a payment system for two billion people existed and then stopped working, that would be really really significant for the world economy. And central bankers worry about things like the global economy, so this puts it squarely in their purview. 
Yeah, and and I think he continued on this statement, if I recall, that you know, essentially saying, look, if we kill this, we need to have other answers ready as a global central banking community. Um, and I would specifically highlight the, the real-time gross uh, settlement system, gross payment systems that you have in the UK, that they're installing in, in the EU for the euro. Uh, those types of things don't really exist in the same way in the US, which is why you get things like Venmo. Um, maybe that's something that uh, will be highlighted based off of people talking to their lawmakers in the US and saying, you know, whether you kill Libra or not, it's still something that we need. And is Venmo the solution or do we need something else that uh, can go cross-border? Maybe that's ultimately what will come out of it. And maybe it has nothing to do with the blockchain. Yeah, super. Well, I mean, of course, uh, so for context here, your real-time gross settlement upgrade that you're talking about, this is the the set of systems that the Bank of England runs um, that allows a UK consumer to pay any other UK consumer's bank account almost immediately um, in near real time and at almost at zero cost to the consumer um, and at super low cost um, mm-hmm. domestically more, more broadly and that we've seen a lot of the challenger banks build really great experiences over the top of. Uh, whereas in the US, that doesn't exist. Often the fastest way to get money to somebody is to send them a check. Um, Venmo is becoming more popular, but it's it's several layers above the financial system and it creates a lot of cost in its own right and it has its own risks. So if we had something like a global Venmo-style experience but underlying payments infrastructure that didn't involve a blockchain at all, brought by and endorsed by the central banks, that would be interesting. Um, but where does something like, um, you know, finality and utility supplement coin and the many other initiatives like it to work with central bank digital currency fit into that. Is this an all conversation or is it an and conversation? Uh, I th- I mean, a lot of those things are still quite murky. So we'll have to get Sarah Feenan back on the show. Um, but uh, I don't know what all she can announce. But my understanding is that is an interbank uh, way to do something like what we what we just talked about with the faster um faster payments, but on a interbank point of view. Uh, in a way, you could kind of think about it like a stable coin, but I, I don't think it's it's one and the same. Uh, Libra is different for a couple of reasons. First is the, the multi-asset thing, multi-currency denomination. Uh, and the second is really the focus on retail users, which can really change things around versus um, JP Morgan being able to send Barclays, uh, something denominated in uh, sterling at mm-hmm. the central bank using a token. Yeah, it's super interesting. I I just uh, put together a a piece of internal training around how payments work. And when the big piece, the big comment back was like, whoa, this stuff is just really all kind of messy and paper-based and paper-driven. And I think what Mark Carney's pointing out is this huge opportunity just to get the basics right uh, on the payment side for for banking in the short term. So uh, let's hope hope we at least see that progress. And if nothing else, Libra has spurred people to, to think about that some more. Alrighty, uh, before we move on, it's time for a quick shill. Um, so uh, this episode is brought to you by uh, Quarter and Quarter Enterprise. Um, so it's been a big year for R3, uh, the enterprise software firm behind Quarter. Uh, Quarter is fast becoming a gold standard in enterprise blockchain technology because it's an out-of-the-box blockchain platform built specifically for businesses that comes in two versions, open source and enterprise, both completely interoperable and compatible. Um, you can get started on Quarter open source easily and migrate to enterprise as your business requirements evolve. Uh, the Quarter platform truly offers the best of both worlds, and it's backed by a vibrant community of over 200 application builders and consumers. You can download Quarter open source on GitHub today or visit r3.com to download Quarter Enterprise on a trial basis. Alrighty, shout out to Todd McDonald, friend of the show. 
This is where he stops listening. Um, all right, uh, next story comes from the block crypto.com. Fidelity, Deloitte, and Amazon support a new blockchain accelerator. The program dubbed Startup Studio is uh, set up by IDEO uh, Collab Ventures, uh, a venture arm, of course, of the design firm IDEO, and it helps blockchain startups with uh, product design, user testing, hiring, finance, law, and engineering um, through one-day workshops. Each partner takes active roles and shares the cost of running the workshops, including IDEO uh, Colab. And the blockchain accelerator programs are on the rise. Uh, the Block recently reported that uh, Creative Destruction Labs in Canada is working with 25 different blockchain startups, offering them $100,000 in funding uh, and tailored mentoring. So uh, this is pretty interesting. This is um, you know, the program's dubbed Startup Studio. Uh, doesn't say from this link very clearly whether or not uh, any of those companies end up with equity. Um, um, I can't see if they do. It's more of a, like, we're going to help you launch this thing. But I'm imagining all of those partners want something out of the deal. Um, if not knowledge, then certainly they want to be doing the taxation work and they want to be doing something else. What were your thoughts when you saw this one, Colin? Um, you know, it's good to see major companies trying to do things to help uh, startups and help new ideas that they, they want to be supportive of. Um, I, I'm Always prefer to see when they're more technology agnostic, when they're focused on a problem, uh, rather than focused on on the technology acceleration. Um, but that said, you know everybody wants to try to figure out how do they get into this business because they still see uh, blockchain technologies as being large. And if they just focus more generally on fintech, um, maybe they don't get enough bang for their buck. Indeed. Um, and Ian Lee is the chap behind this. Shout out, Ian. Uh, we're going to try and get him on the show in the next couple of weeks to, to talk about this one. He's the managing director of the IDEO Collab Ventures. Uh, he's ex-City Ventures, and I know he's been in the blockchain space for quite some time. Really good guy. Um, and uh, he, he mentions on this uh, block uh, article that uh, Amazon, for instance, are going to provide resources on how to build and deploy services on top of AWS, probably some credits involved. That's me, not him saying that. Deloitte are obviously going to offer work shops on the journey and life cycle of blockchain firms, tax, accounting, that kind of stuff. Fidelity Center for Applied uh, Technology can help them explore um, test uh, compelling new opportunities with some financial services knowledge. So if you're looking to launch um, a bit of a blockchain startup, this seems like a good place to be because I don't know about you, but my uh, my criticism of a lot of blockchain startups is they've, they've really thought about uh, sometimes the like how the tokenomics will work and how the infrastructure is going to work. Um, and even they might have a beautiful design, but that product piece that IDEO does is, is often the missing piece. Like how's this actually going to work for the end customer? What value are they going to get from it? And how are you going to ever make any money? And that product side is, is a really, really critical piece. Uh, and the financial services component that Fidelity brings also makes sense because like it's great to build a stock. We see this with fintech all the time. Um, the ones that succeed are the ones that get that value kind of piece right between they've got the consumer proposition that works, but actually they've thought about all of the finance stuff behind the scenes a little bit and they can connect into the inf infrastructure and, and be sustainable businesses. Maybe, maybe Libra should go through that. <laughs> yeah, that, now that would be something, wouldn't it? <laughs> Lovely bit of snark there. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm very supportive of this sort of thing more broadly. Uh, IDEO has been active in the space since 2015. You know, for example, they've worked with Arga. Um, they've also worked with Zcash and Grin, amongst others. Um, and they've also invested in startups like Masari. Um, so you know, they're doing a whole bunch of stuff. Um, it's interesting that Creative Destruction Labs, if I'm not mistaken, did they appear in the Libra press release? Did they? 
Um, I'm Googling this frantically. Listeners, uh, we are... Simon is Googling. We need a jingle uh, for Simon. Yeah, Creative Destruction Labs is in the Libra uh, Association. Um, oh, well, then... <laughs> founding partner. It all comes back together. Yeah, okay. Uh, wow. Um, so maybe maybe they came up with some of the original concepts. Who knows? So I really do think there's something to be said for these product venture studios concepts. Um, and if you're an incumbent financial services company or tax partner, uh, th they make a lot of sense. Uh, for my sins, I was involved in uh, Barclays Textiles uh, that, that literally got a lot of their, their sort of corporate partners involved. Um, and they see a lot of value, not just in investing in these companies, but you've got the option of acquihire, acquisition, uh, but also just institutional learning. Um, and you, they, you do potentially end up launching a whole bunch of interesting businesses. So I, I wonder if we'll see more of this in the future. Mm. One to think about. Alrighty, um, story from the blockcrypto.com. Uh, Binance has burned $24 million worth of BNB tokens allocated to the team. Ooh. Um, they just completed their eighth quarterly burn of their native token. Uh, it was uh, 808,888 BNB tokens, um, and that had been allocated to the Binance team. And the Binance team was allocated 40% of the original BNB supply, uh, all of which will eventually be burned. Uh, the CEOCC said that the exchange is now committing to building the Binance ecosystem without getting any BNB from the initial allocation. Uh, he further noted that the team will likely continue to be one of the largest holders of BNB uh, as Binance's revenues are in BNB. The team is paid in BNB. They made their own token. They're burning it. People are buying it. This seems to be a good way to make money, Colin, right? Right, you're just sending tokens. Um, I lots of eights. I think I may be wrong on this one, but I believe that eight is a lucky number in Chinese. So I, I'm sure that that was somewhat managed around what they were actually supposed to do uh, to make it fit in. Um, but uh, you know, we've talked about Binance a lot. Binance, uh, at least according to this number, one would be led to believe that they made something like 120 uh, million dollars last quarter, which is uh, pretty impressive for any company, uh, and especially a company in the space. Uh, of course, you know, there's there's lots of concerns about how much uh, they're actually complying with rules and regulations. Uh, they do take a, an interesting view on that. Um, but this this uh, news about them kind of shifting the 80 million tokens around, so they started with 200 million tokens with the goal of burning down to 100 million tokens. This does not change the economics. Uh, it just changes the course um, and the decision of where this is coming from. Uh, my guess, uh, and, and from a few people have speculated on this, is it's kind of for twofold. First is um, going out and buying these things in the open market re reduce liquidity, which is not what they're trying to do. They're trying to increase liquidity. Um, the second is uh, by burning these things potentially from the open market, you are making this thing look more and more like a sec security. Given that they, if you kind of put this together with the news a few weeks ago that uh, they're trying to launch in the US with a specific entity, my guess is they're trying to get BNB into that entity and get it okayed. Uh, and by taking this from the team, you can make a stronger argument that it may not actually look like a share buyback. It's just taking what is a medium of exchange uh, that you're paying your staff in anyways and just buying it back to from them for another currency. Mm, interesting one. Uh, I guess uh, they, they've been pretty successful in this model. Do you think uh, that it's been somewhat of a uh, an arbitrage around jurisdiction as well? This is a way for them to get revenue in, potentially without necessarily having to go through uh, US dollar and without having to rely on other people's tokens? Or is this more just uh, an interesting way to bootstrap them? I mean, Binance didn't exist two years ago. 
Yeah. So, well, it's it's two years old now. Um, uh, so this is this is the interesting one. I mean, I guess a lot of people were trying to sell utility tokens for this specific thing. We have a service. You want to use the service? Here's a way to use the service and pay for those services. Uh, it's our token. They also used it to raise an initial fifteen million dollars to set up this company. So put that back in the context of I said this last quarter they made one hundred and twenty million dollars. This is probably, and I think I've said it on the live show, uh, in my view, the only one of two successful ICOs that's actually delivered anything, the other one being Ether. Um, so I, I actually think ex centralized exchange tokens, as they have been used, yes, we, there's lots of questions about the legality of them, but they're actually kind of a cool, interesting asset model um, and, and probably is showing us the way of what tokens maybe should look like. It's something where... Uh, yes, there is a revenue sharing or profit sharing or whatever it is in one way, shape, or form, um, but it also serves a practical purpose. And they've, in BNB's case, uh, managed to use this to back a lot of their exchange volume uh, to be a settlement currency and to use it inside their their decentralized exchange. Wow, I mean, it, so, it's not something I thought I'd say uh, a couple of years ago, but there's there's really a lot that uh, if you're looking at building new market structures um, that you can learn from how. Uh, BNB and Binance have done it. Uh, I think lessons to be learned here for the financial sector. What, what would be your takeaways if you're going and giving this presentation in a bank about how Binance have done it? Well, I mean, first of all, we have to set everything with the the tone of it, it may not work for a financial institution as it has been laid out because of um, their ability to jump from one jurisdiction to the next to uh, find one that will conform to their needs, which is harder to do if you're a large bank uh, or any other large financial institution or any corporate, really. Um, but uh, I, I think the, the idea of creating a financial system where your users, your clients feel more uh, aligned with you making money out of other users, out of the, the market and out of the growth of it, i.e. making them kind of all cooperative uh, owners, is an interesting thing that you know exists in financial industry, but this is kind of taking it up two or three levels. Uh, if you could use a bank account and share more from the benefits, and I know that companies like Monzo are trying to do something, but this is really kind of putting it at the very base level. If you use our product with this thing, you should hopefully uh, share in the upside. Mm. Interesting one to, to think about. Uh, cheers for that, Colin. All right, uh, stories we didn't have time to cover this week. Uh, CNBC.com, Mark Cuban calls Facebook's digital coin Libra a big mistake, saying it could be dangerous. All right, Mark. Um, Zdnet.com, Samsung telcos and banks to collaborate on blockchain mobile authentication. Keep an eye on this type of story. I really think there's something to be said for mobile authentication and crypto upgraded. Forget the word blockchain. Um, the Guardian, uh, $32 million stole from a Tokyo cryptocurrency exchange in the latest hack. Uh, now it's time for Tweet of the Week. Tweet, 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 tweet. It's the Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week. This one's a doozy. This week's Tweet of the Week is a doozy, as Colin G. Platt was saying just there. Um, the, uh, the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, did a tweet. Uh, Colin, do you want to read this one? Uh, you could read it with a better Donald Trump voice than I can, I think. I, I don't know if I can. I'm just going to read it in my own voice. I'm not a fan of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, which are not money and whose value is highly volatile and based on thin air. Unregulated crypto assets can facilitate unlawful behavior, including drug and trade and other illegal activity. Um, similarly, Facebook's Libra virtual currency will have little standing or dependability. If Facebook and other companies want to become a bank, they must seek a new banking charter and become subject to all banking regulations just like other banks. 
both national and international. We have only one real currency in the USA, and it's stronger than ever, both dependable and reliable. It is by far the most dominant currency anywhere in the world, and it will always stay that way. It's called the United States dollar. So, so clearly by the fact that this is broken up into sentences and he knows what a banking charter is, it was not written by the man himself. Let's just be clear on that. Yeah, really, really wasn't. Um, also, like, my God, um, this, this is interesting. I mean, it's, it's clearly the, the administration's official position on Libra is we do not like this thing. It needs to go the hell away and you guys need to get regulated and don't even try it. Um, there's so many little nuggets in there around uh, the more Donald Trump says something strong, the less I believe it. Um, so do we need to worry about the US dollar? But, but that aside, um, the, crypto Twitter went nuts over this one, Colin. Have you seen any favorites? Oh, man, there was a whole load of dumpster fires into the responses from this. Um, so the the responses I saw kind of ranged from people going, well, this is good for Bitcoin. Of course, everything's good for Bitcoin, naturally. Uh, that is a meme. Uh, because all of his followers that have never heard about Bitcoin have now heard about Bitcoin. Okay, great. Um, and it's going to be blasted to anybody else. Uh, my favorite ones, I think, were the conspiracies that uh, Donald Trump really actually does like Bitcoin. And possibly Libra, but he knows that if he says that he hates something, then the other side of the aisle and every liberal will automatically turn around and love this thing. I love that conspiracy. I believe it has no backing to it. Um, he, it's pretty clear that Donald Trump probably isn't a fan of Facebook, um, even though you know it may have helped him get elected. Uh, so this is kind of an easy opportunity, and it's probably more directed at Libra than it is at Bitcoin and the rest. It's just rounding out the whole thought which, believe it or not, has happened in a Trump tweet. My goodness. Um, I mean, Colin, uh, clearly uh, crypto Twitter and uh, the mainstream press, uh, mainstream politicians have really reacted to, to Libra in quite a big way. Uh, if nothing else, I'm hopeful that this means that people will start to look for what's really going on underneath the surface. And as you pointed out, there are some nuggets in how Binance has been built. There are some nuggets in the concept of, uh, of tokenization and just rethinking payments that people can learn from. Uh, so let's see if, uh, see if we can take those lessons um, and learn them and build better, better financial services. Yeah. And, you know, this, I think, will also help prove or disprove the idea that uh, some of these cryptocurrencies can or cannot be shut down. And Libra is one that it very clearly could be shut down before it even gets out of the gates. And there's lots of other ones that people have talked about being extremely centralized. Cough, cough. Um, but, you know, uh, if if there is a coordinated action by governments, central banks, regulators to uh, put the kibosh on a lot of this activity. Um, at, at least that will be discerned, and maybe we're one step closer to that. But it, it does show that the White House is talking about these things. Indeed. Which is amazing 10 years after it's been created. It, it, it is. And if, if you're in a bank thinking about doing this sort of stuff, it's clear that you've got to be careful about your messaging um, and uh, kind of how that comes across to your regulators. And speaking of which, um, we uh, before we let you go, I had a great chat with uh, Dora uh, Mateides from uh, HSBC. She's Senior Innovation Manager there, and she was talking about their uh, dual platform blockchain transaction with Landmark Group. So let's let's head to that now. Welcome to Blockchain Insider Interviews. I'm Simon Taylor, and it is my absolute pleasure to be joined by Dora. I'm not going to try and say your last name. <laughs> I know, it's tricky. Yeah. Matadis. There you go, that one. Uh, who's Senior Innovation Manager for Blockchain at HSBC. How are you doing? Perfect. Great. Thanks so much for having me here. I'm excited to chat with you today, Simon. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. Um, it's really, really been an interesting uh, sort of 
few months in the land of DLT. We'll get to some uh, some news shortly, but I'm just curious. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about your background, your role at HSBC, and, and that kind of good stuff. Sure, absolutely. So I'm a senior innovation manager at HSBC on the growth and innovation team for the Commercial Bank here in London, and I focus specifically on blockchain projects, particularly building blockchain-based platforms for trade finance. Prior to this, I was in San Francisco, worked at a couple of startups, a fintech as well in the consumer lending space called Earnest. And then before that, I started out my career at JP Morgan in New York on their high-grade loan originations theme. Somehow, um, I managed to live in the three most expensive cities yeah. <laughs> between you know London, San Francisco, and New York. Expensive taste for sure. Um, and what about um, sort of uh, the world of blockchain? What, what drew you in? Yeah, I was looking at opportunities in innovation and disruption at financial institutions, and I saw this opportunity at HSBC, and I was really excited about how HSBC was applying blockchain technology to trade finance, which is an industry that hasn't changed in decades, if not centuries. And HSBC being one of the biggest, if not the biggest, trade finance bank, it was really exciting for me to be part of a team that's really making a difference. Trade finance is about $16 trillion a year, and I really wanted to be a part oh, of that. Oh, is that all? $16 trillion? You know, minor day, pocket change. Um, but yeah, it, it really makes a difference when we do something. We have 40 million clients. We're present in 70 countries. So when we roll out a new platform or technology, it has a really meaningful difference for our clients as well as for the bank. So there's definitely opportunity there, but um, you had a recent press release. Let's, let's cover what that is. Um, HSBC, Landmark Group, Landmark Group, have I said that right? Yes. Um, what happened there? Sure. Um, let me recap maybe a little bit as to what is Voltron, what is reaching me, what was the transaction, why we're so excited about it. Yeah. So Voltron is a blockchain-based trade finance platform digitizing letters of credit that's being built by a consortium of eight banks, and HSBC is one of those eight banks. I think it's really important to highlight that Voltron isn't just an HSBC platform. It is built by built by our collectively by our competitors. And I think this is the first time in the industry when banking competitors have come together and built something collectively. And blockchain technology is unique that it allows us to collaborate because given that we control our own node and information, we don't need to hand that data over to our competitors and vice versa. Our competitors don't need to give us their data. So that's important that we're building this collectively and building a solution for the industry together. So we're digitizing letters of credit, which is effectively an instrument that allows the exporters to feel comfortable that they will get paid given that the bank guarantees it. So when they sell goods to to an importer, they will be certain that they'll get their money. So let's say I've got a little factory, I sell widgets, um, some new buyer comes along for my widgets in another country. I've never heard of this buyer, but I've heard of the bank and the bank says, well, here's this letter that says you're going to get paid. Precisely, yeah. For example, if tomorrow, Simon, you decided that the whole podcast blockchain thing wasn't your thing and you want to start up a cafe, Simon's Cafe, and you want to buy coffee beans from me in Brazil or Colombia, and, and you know you need me to sell you those coffee beans, but I don't know who you are, I don't trust you, but all of a sudden you turn around, go to your friendly bankers at HSBC, and they say, yes, I'll guarantee that I'll pay you. All of a sudden, I feel much more comfortable. I'm willing to sell you those goods. And so then talk me through it. Um, what was this landmark transaction all about then? Sure. So Landmark separately has built their own blockchain platform called ReChainMe that allows them to track the supply chain side of it. While Voltron is for letter digitizing letters of credit and the finance piece of the transaction and issuing um, the le- and advising the letter of credit, 
The ReachAme platform allows you to track the supply chain, prepare the documents, gives you visibility into the logistics side of it. So the transaction that we announced a few weeks ago was for Landmark's family retail business, the baby shop, and they were purchasing baby goods from BD, which is a Hong Kong-based supplier. This transaction connected both the physical supply chain and the logistics side of it, as well as the finance piece of it. This was the first time that Voltron, the letter of credit platform, has connected to any other blockchain-based solution, which is really exciting and a milestone. for. What's interesting about that is, yeah, now you're connecting the data and confidence about the data to confidence about the transaction, which starts to alter the economics really in, in some interesting ways. Uh, and I guess uh, a letter of credit blockchain is okay, but a letter of credit blockchain that, uh, or uh, and also a uh, an informational blockchain is okay, but you put the two together and they become a lot more powerful. It is really powerful because all the participants in the transaction are able to view the same information simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Letters of credit, as well as shipping goods around the world, is incredibly paper-intensive and paper-based. It's slow, it's manual, it's error-prone. There's a lot of overhead. In well, this is the mad thing. I didn't realize that there are flaws and flaws of bank buildings dedicated to dealing with the bits of paper in trade finance. So it is a mile high. And when you say paper, it's not PDFs attached to an email. It is physical piece of paper put into a FedEx or DHL envelope mailed around the world for all the relevant And those pieces of paper get lost, they get stolen. So everything you can see and touch around you right now probably came through a supply chain and probably had a whole bunch of pieces of paper moving between a bunch of banks in order to move that on the shipping container that it used to get to the, the country you're sitting in. And it, actually, it, that's remarkably inefficient and it's probably pumping out a load of carbon that we don't need to be. It is slow and inefficient and it just lacks transparency. You don't know who has the document, has someone reviewed it, have the goods left, have they been shipped, what is going on? That lack of transparency is really slowing down the industry. Well, and you don't know if they're forged goods you know, particularly well. There's, there's a whole bunch of risk that comes around that as well. Indeed, the, the blockchain helps with tracking any changes in the authenticity and it makes it much more auditable. Yeah, well, it, it, it certainly gets to the point where we agree that these facts are the same. Whether or not they're true is, is, is always an interesting question. Right, you but you solve some of the problem at least. Indeed, you're viewing it in real time and you're seeing it and all the parties have access to the same information simultaneously and instantaneously, which is also key as in many of these transactions, there is a whole lot of amendments and changes and back and forth that can be really time consuming and doing it on one collective platform where all the parties have access to the same information instantly makes a big difference. This transaction specifically saved about 12 days of the end-to-end transaction, which is about 40% of time reduction, so that can really accelerate trade. And what does that mean for an air region like the Middle East and, um, and, a bus- and somebody in the retail business? Yes, yeah, so up until this point, we've done a number of transactions on Voltron, but it has not been in the Middle East. We've done it in Singapore, Australia, China, but this is a first for the Middle East. So it is a huge milestone, mm-hmm. and we really expect it to to accelerate trade as they are a big hub in the region and then connecting them to, to Hong Kong, which is also a really dynamic trading hub. We expect that to uh, set to grow trade exponentially in the region. Interesting stuff. And, and then talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, a lot of these transactions, both um, Voltron and Me, both use R3 Corda. Um, you know, are we 
kind of moving away from there being lots of different technologies here? Are we still open to there being lots of different technologies working together? You know, what, what are, what's happening in that tech landscape from a bank's perspective? Yeah, so it's been great to build this interconnectivity between two Corda platforms and shared data, which was really seamless in the connection. But I think we'll still be using different platforms and technology. HSBC is a part of the WeTrade network as well as eTrade Connect that are built on Hyperledger Fabric. And there are lots of other techs out there, but I think there is a convergence to different platforms collaborating and sharing data and information. It's interesting that um, we've seen a lot of these sort of pilot one-off transactions. Um, Where's this heading in the next couple of years? Are we going to stop seeing the ends of press releases about we did one transaction? (laughs) (laughs) Long way away from that. Uh, We're still in the stage of pilot transactions, and we're still in the early phases of blockchain. We're still working with early adopters and early innovators. But I am hoping that in the next few years, it will really accelerate and it won't be just a one-off. We'll get most of our clients and most of the banks to move a large amount, if not all of their flows, onto these blockchain platforms. But in order for these platforms and ecosystems to succeed, you really need to build a network around it. Just because we have one client or two clients on it, it it doesn't mean that it can... So is the call to action here for for the client base as much as anything? So the press release is really to get more clients interested in sort of, hey, we, we can do this thing. If you're interested, let's do more of that. Exactly. I think it's proving that the platform works. It is to get clients to give us early feedback, make make adjustments to a platform and the technology, and then for other participants in, in the market to get excited about it and to move additional volume onto it, because this is only helpful for a buyer if their sellers are on the platform or for the seller if their buyer is on the platform. So we're excited to bring additional clients on across industries. So this transaction for Landmark was in the retail space, but previously we've done deals in soybeans, iron ore, wool. So this is a solution that's global and industry agnostic, which we're excited about. And we're also looking for new banks to join the platform because while we have eight blanks, banks on who cover a large part of the world, it's critical for us to have bank representations from all over the globe. Exciting stuff. Well, listen, if anybody is interested in finding out more, where do they go to get hold of you and HSBC generally on the trade finance stuff? Sure. So I can be found on LinkedIn, Dora Matatis, probably the easiest to ping me there, um, send me an email. I'm happy to respond and chat about all things related to blockchain, trade finance, technology, or Voltron. Good stuff. And if you can't spell that last name, it will be in our show. <laughs> Notes. So you just go into your podcast client and look for it where we will copy and paste it so that we can spell it correctly. Uh, listen, thank you so much for coming up on the show. Great. Thank you, Simon. Alrighty, thank you very much to Dora. Just to remind you listeners, this podcast is brought to you by 11FS and we're a challenger consultancy working to shape the next generation of financial services. Uh, we create digital propositions and we work with banks and big techs and all kinds of companies to shape products and propositions where finance meets customers. Uh, you can see examples of our work at 11FS.com uh, and you can check out more at Blockchain Insider every single Thursday by just hitting the subscribe button. Uh, and do think about throwing us a review. Um, alrighty. Uh, Colin, where can people find out more about you? Well, as, as previously disclosed, on Twitter at Colin G. Platt or on Medium at Colin underscore. There are so many account names needing to happen right now. Uh, Colin underscore. It's been, it's been good to be with you. Um, uh, you can find me at SYTaylor on Twitter or email me simon11fs.com if you have any questions about what came up on the show, uh, anything that's going on in uh, financial services and blockchain, I'd love to hear from you. All right, uh, big thank you to our amazing production team here at 11FS, producer Laura, Petri, and Hannah, uh, and of course, Alex, our editor. Thank you for listening, and we'll have more blockchain inside next week. Goodbye for now.